the Braves still can't find a winning streak. The whole object is to, to win series, so we did, and, you know, we haven't won a lot of them, but, you know, doesn't mean we won't in the future. Welcome to the Braves Report, the new podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that takes you inside the clubhouse and gives you the stories behind the score. I'm Jay Black with our AJC Braves beat reporter, Justin Toscano, who is recording this from Miami. He will be hustling back to Atlanta here pretty shortly, but I know there's nothing wrong with a 500-week on the road under most circumstances, but the Braves have to feel like they could have had a little more here. For sure. I mean, I think they leave the road trip with a positive taste, but certainly if you look at it objectively... Uh, one run loss in that first game in Milwaukee, the crushing loss on Wednesday, and then kind of pulling back, you know, on Sunday against uh, Sandy Alcantara and, and the Marlins. I mean, I think they could have had a little more, especially after how the first two went here. But overall, a solid road trip, especially on the road. All right, coming up, we will dig into what's up with the Braves offense, what's next for the hot bat of William Contreras, some new roles out in the bullpen, and how Atlanta found Jackson Stevens, plus our winners of the week and our Ask Justin segment. The Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is brought to you by Kroger. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, so before we begin, we have to pay off this cliffhanger from last week's episode. How was the food in your first trip to Milwaukee? Well, actually, um, there were no cheese curds, but really? I've got a loaded baked potato to report. So there is this okay. place called called Bacon. That That's the name, just Bacon, uh, and that's a right. regular concession stand um, out there at, at American Family Field, formerly known as Miller Park. And so Bacon has... Well, what you would expect, bacon. So I got a loaded baked potato with bacon, cheese, butter, you know, all the fixings. And then a what is called a quote-unquote large bacon. So it's a lot of bacon strips and a cup, um, and it was about <laughs> enough bacon. I mean, a lot of people told me you can never have too much bacon, but I think I was set for the night. So it was, it was a, de- you know, a good trip in that regard. Bacon in a cup is never bad. Uh, what's a better food town, Milwaukee or Miami? Oh, for me personally, Miami, just because I love the flair with, you know, the um, not only like Mexican food, but like Cuban food. And I feel like they have everything here. Like I found great Italian. Um, If you're in the mood for just American food, you can go to the Hard Rock Cafe over there on uh, the Bayshore Marketplace over here on Biscayne Bay. Um, They've got it all here. The thing I just that Miami that irks me just a tad is it's not super walkable, depending on where you stay. Um and so, you know, when it's 95 degrees, it's, you know, it's not the most pleasant thing. But I, I love the Miami food uh, in terms of cities, you know, we go to. All right. So we'll have uh, much more on that on the AJC uh, Concession Stand Food um, podcast, which will come out on, uh, on <laughs> Thursdays. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, dig into some ball now, of course. The Braves have finally won their first road series. And that's got to at least be somewhat of a plus considering how bad things ended uh, in Milwaukee. 100%. Yeah. You look at that loss where they, you know, blue leads after the the third inning you know the eighth like they were leading after the third you know by four and then after the eighth and the ninth and the tenth especially because of the way it ended and those extra innings games with the runner starting on second in each extra inning 
you need to score two runs, especially if you're the road team, to, to really give yourself a chance and give yourself some padding there. And um, and the, especially after that one and the way that one ended, you go into the off day, you go into Miami. The Marlins aren't great, but they're improved from where they were a few years back. Um, and they've got great pitching. And the fact that the Braves took the first two here, and not only did they take the first two, but for me what was important was seeing the bullpen do it the way that they did uh, there lock it down Friday night um, and Saturday night, even if Kenley Jansen almost blew the save Saturday night. Like Brian Snicker said, they're not all going to be clean. They're not all going to be pretty. Um, But seeing the bullpen kind of hold strong there was an encouraging sign. You know, you'd like to see more from the offense, and you'd like to see more consistency, adding on a lot more. Um, But they've done just enough, and getting, you know, a series win on the road is a series win on the road. You know, you can't complain about them. That's the first one of the year. And I know the big topic that that a lot of Braves fans have is the offense. So let's kind of start there. There have been some high points, but as manager Brian Snicker puts it, well, we're still struggling to get everything going pretty much. And they've just ticked another week off the calendar. Everybody's still kind of waiting for everything to come together. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think you see after his hot start, Matt Olson now batting, you know, 242 OPS, you know, still near 800, but um, and then you, you see even, you know, from Austin Riley and Matt Olson and Ozzie Albies not being where they were earlier in the season to a guy like Travis Demerit, who started off pretty hot when he came up here and is now 0 for his last 28. I mean, I think you're seeing a lot of dips here. Adam Duvall still batting 199 with a 554 OPS, hasn't been able to get it going. Now, the th- weird thing with him is the numbers look fine. You know, if you, if you go into baseball savant, you look at some of kind of the, the stuff inside what's happening with him. That looks fine. The results just aren't there, but yeah, you're seeing now like Dansby Swanson has been, you know, one of their hottest hitters, but hasn't been, you know, torrid hot um, over the last week. You're just seeing offense in spots, but you're not seeing it consistently enough throughout games and you're not seeing them string together lots of innings and lots of crooked numbers. I'm not saying you're going to score 10 runs every game or most games, but they're really, it seems to me right now, they're really relying on an inning or so and and a crooked number. And the pitching is really having to make that stand up and a credit to the pitching, like a three and three road trip when you don't really explode offensively. It's a testament to how good the rotation and the bullpen have been despite, you know, Wednesday's loss. And I just think they need more consistency. They haven't gotten guys on, you know, really move the line as well as they would like to. And they're not really hitting with runners in scoring position, which is something that kind of defined, uh, came, you know, defined in part their run to the World Series last year through the second half. Here's some averages with runners in scoring position. Austin Riley, 143. Matt Olson, 194. Marcelo Zuna, 182. Ronald Acuna, 181. Ozzie Albies, 171. That murderous row there can't hit below the Mendoza line all season with the runners on base, right? Or in scoring position, right? It's got to turn. <laughs> like, I mean, I remember, you know, we've said this. I think you say this for a few teams every season where it's got to turn, it's got to turn, it's got to turn. It never does. This team, you just think it has to because you line up Ronald Acuna, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Marcelo Zuna, Ozzy Albies, you know, your ideal one through five there. That's about as good you know a half you know more than half a lineup as anybody has in baseball I don't see those guys struggling like they are currently all it takes and they've said this is all it takes a two-out hit a big you know two-out RBI Marcelo Zuna heck I mean his last four home runs have come with two outs um, and have you know kept innings alive and so like I think that stuff is contagious I just can't see it you know maybe they won't lead the league in average in runners in scoring position like they did last year 
but I can't see it being that bad for that many of their prominent hitters. I mean, I, th- you're, I think it's got to turn and they'll get hot here, especially as the pitching, you know, they shouldn't face as tough of pitching as they did in Milwaukee and Miami, you know, going forward really certainly, you know, not with the Phillies past the starting pitching. And then, you know, other opponents, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, I don't think will present as tough of a challenge as teams to this point have. Adam Duvall is right at the Mendoza line, but he is hitting over 300, more than 100 points better with runners in scoring position. Yeah, I mean, he had a pretty good series in Milwaukee, so, you know, and and he's kind of slowly getting off the ground. Guys like that, they are, they're streaky. Good thing about Adam, he shows up to play and doesn't back away and continues to work um, because we know what he can do. And Marcelo Zuna's on a heater, too. Yeah, like Marcel can – when he gets hot, he can carry you. I mean, he can put a team on his back. So that's kind of, you know, what I'm kind of hoping for is that he kind of – because I know he felt good um, coming out of Milwaukee, and hopefully, you know, he'll feel good in here now. What does Marcel have to say about his uh, about his turnaround? Yeah, yeah. For him, it's just been about staying consistent and kind of still putting the work in. And I think uh, he said after that, you know, after that game against the Padres that he feels like this lineup is going to be – you know, pretty dangerous and is kind of going to, you know, wake up and is going to be there. They've got a lot of great hitters, but he's looking good right now. I mean, you at one point had homers, you know, in four straight games, three straight games, I think it was, and then four and six games dating back to that home run against the Padres that tied the game and what, you know, became a sensational comeback victory. But I think, I'm not sure if Ozuna is the type of guy who can really, you know, carry you, but he can certainly change the complexion of a game with one swing and he's one of those guys he showed that he was in a you know pretty massive slump heading into that at bat against the Padres and and really just kind of came to define that victory and so I mean I think a guy like him you know getting him caught up getting him on a heater as you said um, I think that's big for the lineup but there's got to be stuff around him I think he's not he's not as effective when he's batting you know with nobody on base I think there's got to be guys there and I think that's been the issue and I think you're seeing like their lineup is probably most dangerous after it turns over once because Acuna is not leading off. He might be hitting with somebody on base or he might, you know, he might be hitting in a certain situation. And I think they've just really got to get things rolling and move the line a little bit better. AJC columnist Michael Cunningham uh, pointed out that the Braves have the highest strikeout percentage in baseball in this piece a couple of days ago. I know that doesn't mean what it used to, but is anybody concerned that it's that bad? Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I did ask Brian Snicker about that before a game in Milwaukee, and I, I led my question by saying, you guys have struck out a lot this season. And he looks at me and he goes, and he laughs, he goes, you think? And so, um, and, and but my point, and I told him this, that my question was that, does that really mean as much as it used to? And, and he said that does have a different meaning in this game, you know, day and age. It has a different meaning than when he started in the game. And now it's, you know, it's, almost not as crucial, not as important. But if you were to parse that out, what you don't like to see is the strikeouts um, and the ball not being put in play with the runners in scoring position. And so I think the the value of strikeouts is just diminished. I mean, I just don't think it's as concerning, especially through a month and a half, um, especially because the day I asked Snicker that question, I think the Royals, who had fired their hitting coach that day, had the least strikeouts in baseball, if that tells you anything. <laughs> Now to one of the most fascinating players on this team right now, and that's William Contreras. Really good job. I mean, he's done. A, a, he's taken such a good advantage of this opportunity, and um, you know, all his whole game really has, has been really good. I can't get over the stat that Contreras has played in ten games. 
He's got eight <laughs> hits and six homers. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, and then really on <laughs> on Saturday's game, he really worked his way up the leaderboard, right? Like first yep. he passed his brother with the home run, and then he passes, you know, he's up there with Salvador Perez of the Royals. Uh, Perez and his brother at that time had played, I think, 34 games, um, and William had played 10 and did that and that. And yeah, this guy's got unreal power. The funny thing to me, though, is, I, and I mean, the people watching the game might have felt the same way. Those home runs were almost identical. Like, yep. I feel like when the, the, you, you, we were watching a replay on the broadcast of them, both went out to the bullpen, both actually measured at an estimated 394 feet, um, both out to right center. And he really has shown that opposite field power multiple times this season. The one, you know, the one the Braves have raved about um, in him. The important thing, though, is I think that as exciting as the pop is, really what they're going to need from him is defensive development this year. And I think that'll come with experience. Um, he's got 59, as we speak right now, he's got 59 starts as a catcher. Um, and I think it's going to get better. And his teammates have already lauded him for that improvement. Brian Snickers already applauded him for that improvement. Kyle Wright just yesterday said, uh, spoke a little bit on Contreras' feel and just said that, you know, if the game speeds up a little bit, he's been good at slowing Kyle down a little bit, whether it's taking a mountain visit, going to talk to him in the dugout, doing certain things to to help him, and, and that he's really um, become accustomed to what Kyle likes to throw and, and calling games and things like that. That's going to be just as important because they don't have Manny Pena. Um, and, you know, if you're projecting out what Alex Anthopoulos might do at the trade deadline, with the way William Contreras is bad is and the way he's play, I'm not so sure, like, backup catcher is something you, you need to go out and really hunt. I mean, maybe that makes a difference if you have somebody who's a little older. But I think Contreras has deserved a spot on this roster. And, you know, especially with the DH his bat, you know, you need his bat in the lineup. And so I think that's the most interesting development is like, do the Braves feel like they eventually need something at the trade deadline, needs a backup who's a little more experienced and maybe just keep Contreras to play in DH or do they just give him that run there? Right now, it seems like they're just going to give him that run. And that seems like the thought based on what Brian Snicker has said that, you know, no outfield, no corner infield, like they're going to stick him at catcher and just let him get those reps there. Because there was some discussion, I know in spring training, that he was taking some fly balls in the outfield, just trying to loosen up his versatility, find some way to get his bat in the order. But is that kind of, you know, they're just going to not mess with a good thing right now? Yeah, that's kind of subsided um, just because they need him, you know, to be their primary backup catcher. Um, they don't have any el anybody else who can do it. Uh, Chadwick Trump is in AAA. But Willing Contreras, just with his bat, presents um, a much better option for them. And he's got a great arm. And that's a couple things, you know, one thing that a couple guys have raved about is his arm. Um, and so, yeah, that it, no outfield. It doesn't seem like there's going to be any outfield for now. Uh, and he was even working with Ron Washington at third base earlier in the season. I remember talking to Ron Washington about that. Uh, but now all that stuff seems to be pretty much off the table just because they need him to be their backup catcher primarily. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. 
The Braves Report is brought to you by Kroger, and gas prices will come down at some point, but not today. So our friends at Kroger have a way to help by becoming a Kroger Boost member. Now, Kroger Boost members get double fuel points and access to special perks throughout the year. You also get free shipping on your Kroger groceries, so you can save time and money by not having to go to the store. So you get to save money, save time, and you get double fuel points on gas. All of this for as little as 59 bucks a year. So go to Kroger.com slash boost to enroll. That's Kroger.com slash boost. One of the biggest roster moves this week is coming out of the bullpen that Tyler Matzik's going to be out for a while with a short with a sore shoulder. Yeah, it's you know it's kind of a weird thing for me. Like, you know, I've had shoulder tightness, shoulder soreness, you know, and it's kind of a normal thing when you're a pitcher. You know, I've been pretty healthy in my career as a whole, and so it's, it's just like a weirder thing for me. I haven't really had to deal with something like this, so... Um, hopefully it's just a short, you know, let's figure out what it is, do some rehab, whatever it is, and get back out there. How long is he going to be on the shelf for? Yeah, so he is eligible because they backdated it uh, to May 14th. He is eligible to come off the injured list on May 24th. Uh, that will not happen, though, because right immediately the Braves shut him down for two weeks and he'll be reevaluated at that time. But I had heard that, it, you know, it might be a while just because um, if you think about a pitcher's progression from going, you know, from – going from flat ground to uh to long toss to bullpens to same games to a rehab assignment he's got to go through all of that um i'm not sure the specific order of the steps quite yet but um i had heard those you know would be elements and he's gonna have to go through that ramp up because he was shut down from throwing and so it's gonna be it's gonna be a while um and you know in the meantime i mean they've, they've got to hold serve because now they're out without tyler matzik even though he had struggled he is one of the main parts of that bullpen they're without luke jackson who's been lost of the season to tommy john um so now they've got to pick up the pieces and uh i feel like the guy we're going to talk about next right i feel like we have mentioned him on every episode of this podcast uh well actually i think he took last week off but he's going to be back now and that of course is uh, spencer strider who had a pretty strong week here's snit on his role uh, we got to realize that we got four more five more months and and this, he's going going to go through things that he's never experienced before which he already has and um so you know we'll be you know we're gonna be careful with him it's his first full year being a reliever i mean it's um and he may end up starting so i don't know you know i mean it's just um He's got, what, one full year in pro ball under his belt, and now we're asking him to do this. And so, um, you know, we'll just play on his innings. Is he going to be used in more high-leverage spots now? 100%. Yeah, and I think we saw that, whether it's coming into the game and, you know, Milwaukee in the seventh a couple times um, and pitching, you know, Monday, then Wednesday, or, you know, here in Miami, the same thing, the seventh. He's going to be needed in those more of those high leverage spots because his stuff is so good you can't bear a guy with stuff like that you can't really bear i mean he could be their long man but they've got a guy like jackson stevens to do that they've got other arms to fill those like mop-up innings or when you just need somebody to eat an inning or two but he's gonna be even you know higher leverage than than maybe even somebody like colin McHugh just based on the way it works out just because his stuff is so great his fastball is electric his slider is you know unhittable uh, if you know if you're timing up that fastball so he needs that slider he needs that change up but with the way his stuff is and the way you know he, he's going to be used in more high leverage innings but more so than the stuff and I just spent 30 seconds talking about the stuff they need him there because of Tyler Matzik being out and Tyler Matzik had struggled but they were just going to have to keep running him out there um, and even in the interim they were finding ways you know when he was struggling to to see if anybody else could piece together those sorts of things but Spencer Strider no longer is, you know, he could start in the future, and Brian Snickers said that, but um, 
he's no longer maybe one of those rotation candidates at this moment just because they really need him in the bullpen, and he's been sensational out of there. One thing we did notice on Saturday is that Brian Sinker is not afraid to now use Jackson Stevens in a tight spot. He's done an unbelievable job, too. I mean, it's, um, you know, that was good to see under those circumstances because, you know, we're, we're going to need some help in that area. But Justin, I did love your story this week on Stevens and how he's been able to adapt from being the pretty much the last guy out of the bullpen and now being used in many different places. How do you adjust your mindset so if you don't know when you're going to pitch next, you're still sharp when you do pitch? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, you just got to, you know, I, I treat every day like there's opportunity to pitch. I mean, obviously, like the likelihood of me pitching after going two innings or maybe three innings that I have done before, like that has a very slim, slim, slim chance of me pitching the next day. Sure, yeah. Um, but anytime I go one or even if I go two, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to get ready so I can be able to pitch the next day. And then if I don't pitch the next day, then I'm for sure hot the rest of the time. And I'm just keeping my body same with routines. Like, I try to stay in the weight room. Um, every, like, two or three days I'll be in the weight room no matter if I pitch or hot or not or whatever. It doesn't matter. I try to stay in there and uh, – Training staff does a good job with that, and then the medical staff does a good job of, you know, when I go in and get a massage or deep tissue or whatever, the bounce back, I always do that after I pitch. So it's just routine-based and just make sure you're always ready. Yeah, Snit's been pretty surprised pleasantly with your stuff. Where do you think you've turned the biggest corner in terms of your pitches since you got here? Uh, I don't think nothing's really changed. It's just I'm using it better in the best way for me to succeed. Okay. I mean, I've always had my two seam. I've always had a four seam. I had the curveball. The uh, sliders got a lot better over the past, like, winter and through here and everything. Um, so I've gotten a lot better. But overall, man, it's just the main thing is throwing strikes, getting ahead, and being able to use those arsenals that you have to your best benefit. I told you this is the podcast that does take you inside the clubhouse, and sometimes it is a noisy place but it's been four years since Stevens pitched in the big leagues. How did the Braves find him? Yeah, so he was actually the Venezuelan Winter League Pitcher of the Year and the general manager of the Cardinales um, over there in, in Venezuela. That team is Jose Yepes, one of um, one of the Braves coaches. And nice. so, um, yeah, I think uh, that there's a logical connection there. But, the, I mean, this is the feel-good story of all feel-good stories. We have... This one's about a guy who literally stayed in Venezuela in a hotel uh, for a few months. The hotel was attached to the mall, so he'd go to the mall to get food. But everything except ordering food was tough because he doesn't speak fluent Spanish. He could get by ordering food, not much else. He'd take, you know, they'd send a taxi over to the hotel to take him to the ballpark every day. Um, He didn't have cell service down there with the way it worked. So, you know, he could text his wife, iMessage. He could... um, he could use FaceTime, but on those six to eight hour bus rides, or if he'd ever need to go somewhere, you know, long like that, he, he'd just watch movies on his iPad. So this is a guy who went from Venezuela, pushed his comfort zone, and now is with the Braves. And the most impressive part being, you know, kind of the first question I asked him was, he doesn't know when he's going to pitch next. He's got that sort of role, but they've still put him in important situations and he can't blow up or he will you know, not have a job here. And he's really succeeded in that. He's been tremendous for them um, in every spot they've put him in. And he really just keeps getting better. And that stuff has really impressed them um, and has really surprised everybody. And I think, I don't think when, you know, he was brought up, you expected Jackson Stevens to have this sort of role or or for this long of a time, but he's really done it. And it's, yeah, it's one of those feel good stories of a guy who kind of made it and and pushed himself and went to the Mexican league and then the Venezuelan winter league and, and things like that. 
Got the lowest DRA on the team now, 132 in his first eight games. And that's the kind of inside the clubhouse reporting you get from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And if you're not subscribing to the AJC, we do have this special offer for Braves fans. Pretty good deal. We call it our season pass, and it's half off our regular offer. So you get unlimited digital access to the AJC for just $39.99 for the next eight months. That's $125 a week. So if you want to join the community, go to subscribe.ajc.com slash season pass. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash season pass so you always know what's going on. And, and one of the other stories that, that, that you would have read from Justin this week is kind of the other side of the game. And, and all these ball players are products of their generation now, which means social media is a huge part of their lives. But how do they handle it with millions of fans being able to reach them at a moment's notice? Here's Kyle Wright. How do you, how do you deal with social media? Like, some guys are on it more than others, but, like, what's that like to be a human being? Like, obviously, you pitch yeah. on the biggest stage, but, like, you're, you're still a human with emotions yeah. and things. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when I pitched bad, I got some ruthless messages. So, for me, the quick, it, the quick was just turn it off for a bit. Um, for me, I just I – st- I have a Twitter. I don't use Twitter really anymore unless somebody sends me a funny tweet or something like that. I'll check it out. But um, So, I don't really use Twitter because that, that one's a little bit – I, you can see more stuff there. Um, Instagram, I can kind of control, you know, what what's sent to me and whatnot. But so I think for me, the biggest one was just kind of disconnecting from that a little bit and spending more time with wife, dog, friends, whatever it may be. Um, but then I also think you realize that it's just I feel like most people don't really mean what they say. Right. It's just kind of a. I don't know, you're watching a game room too, it's just an instinctual, I guess it's a poor instinct, but, <laughs> but it is what, what happens. So, but I mean, like I said, I think everyone, everyone ultimately means well. I, I feel like you don't want to look at the world as a negative place. So, but I think you can, there's different, there's other outlets to, to pursue that, you know, can kind of get you away from some of the negativity. And I feel like that, you know, I've got a lot of good people in my life that, can help me stray away from that. So I think yeah, so, you know, we are human beings. So there's some things that I think people may not realize that you know, we deal with. But like I said, we, we get to play a game for a living. So it's part of it. You know, you, you wear it and try to be better, I guess. Do you remember a couple of the ruthless ones you got back, back when it was bad? Like, do those stick with you at all? Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, pretty much the default is probably go kill yourself or stuff like that but yeah that's that's kind of just that one you talked to a few guys in the clubhouse about that what what did you learn on how how the players handle that and and use social media well first off that uh i think that interview is our winner for quietest clubhouse interview of the season so (laughs) uh so we're gonna we're gonna give a quick hand to that but no i think i the what i learned most was just that the the easiest way to deal with it is just to not go on it um, and call it. So there are different methods and Colin McHugh told me about one of them. He said, you either you have a choice, you either don't go on it or you choose to not basically digest anything from there to not let it get at you. Um, Kenley Jansen said he doesn't go on it. Kenley Jansen actually told me on his off days, he used to read articles and he used to go online and, you know, and he used to see all that stuff about himself. Um, and he liked doing that. But then eventually um, he saw that it wasn't helping him. It was hurting him. And he saw that it became frustrating when things that were incorrect were written about him or things that weren't right or, you know, were mean were written about him. And he, he didn't like that. So now he strays away from it. Ian Anderson brought up a good point um, that he feels like he's it's gotten worse because of gambling. Um, yep. And people who have money on the game maybe don't even care about the teams playing. They just had money on the game. 
they will go just completely, you know, lay into an athlete on social media because they're mad they lost money. So they're just different. And Nate Anderson, on the other hand, said, you know, he thinks it can be a good way for athletes to brand themselves. So it's so it's a double edged sword. And there's so many facets to social media in today's world when you're a professional athlete. But what I learned is probably the easiest way to not let it get to you is just to filter that stuff and to not look at it. And um, and that's easier said than done, because as Colin McHugh told me, when you're looking at it, if you're looking at it after a bad outing, you're already in your emotions and you're just going to see something that's going to, you know, drive you over the edge a little bit. So it's just you have to be really, really smart with it. Um, and that seems, you know, it's easy to say. But as you said, everybody now who is around this age is a product of, you know, our generation. And we grew up with social media from the time you're we in middle school on. Uh, and it's not so easy to be online and, and, you know, or not go on it or not care about what's said about you. I mean, I think that's easier for somebody, you know, who's 38 years old than somebody who's 25. The Ask Justin Mailbag segment is coming up, but we do want to take a quick look at the division now. And the Mets have gone 6-4 and four in their last 10. They've cooled off just a little bit, but the Braves have lost ground. They're now eight back. However, the Mets are starting to run out of pitching. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. So Scherzer with an oblique injury um, this week. That should be six to eight weeks. So now the Mets are currently without Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, and Tyler McGill. So those are three guys that could be their best three starters. Um, if you don't count Carlos Carrasco, Tyler McGill looked really, really good to start the season. Um, but Carlo, they still have got Carlos Carrasco. Uh, they've got Taiwan Walker. David Peterson has pitched well for them. Um, but yeah, the, Chris Bassett's been great. But they are running out of pitching. The depth in that lineup, though, is the thing that I keep coming back to. It seems like every single night they're finding ways to pull out games um, because of that depth. And it's been so hard to navigate, you know, for pitching when you've got, you know, guys like Pete Alonso and uh, Francisco Lindor and Brandon Nimmo. But then you also have a guy toward the bottom of the lineup like Jeff McNeil, a guy who can put a bat on anything and a guy who's looked better. Francisco Lindor is struggling a little bit, you know, but McNeil's return to form um Pete Alonso looks good and has been you know up with the RBI lead you know at the top of that leaderboard for the last week um they look good the Braves are really going to need to make hay against some of these you know the softer schedule because the Mets really haven't slowed down much up next will be a pretty important four game series here with the Phillies first time we've seen Philadelphia this season and uh, Bryce Harper's back in the lineup yeah yeah Bryce Harper's back but he's you know with a partially torn UCL and um, an injection to help that. I believe that was a PRP injection. He missed, a, you know, a few games this last week. He's back. Uh, I don't think he'll be playing the field, but he's going to DH for the time being until they, re you know, resolve that situation. And as you know, we all know, and anybody who's watched this division knows, he's one of baseball's best hitters. Um, he's, you know, always a guy who can impact the game. The Braves' pitching is going to need to be as good as it's been against the Phillies uh, because that lineup, even though it has been no hit this year, is uh, pretty stacked with Harper, Castellanos, Real Muto, um, Bohm, Schwarber. You've got a lot of guys there. The funny thing about the Phillies, though, is as frustrating as the Braves may be for fans in Atlanta, I, I don't know if Phillies fans have any hair left. Like, <laughs> after, after the past 10, 15, 20 years, you know, like, even the last five. Like, I, this is the Phillies once again look to be just an enigma and it's just like they've got so much talent but they blow these games they had one against the Mets they haven't really had any consistency so it'll be a fun series in Atlanta 
and a pretty intriguing start on Monday. Zach Wheeler against Tucker Davidson, who pretty well staked his claim against the Brewers for the fifth spot. Can he keep it going? That's going to be the thing for him is he wants to attack the zone. He wants to continue building momentum. And he told me before this Sunday game at Lone Depot Park that he really needs to just say to himself that, hey, you know, like this is my job and I'm going to take it and run with it. And the Braves are certainly hoping he can do that just because with the Tyler Matz, Spencer Strider situation we just talked about a few minutes ago, they need Tucker Davidson to, to take this thing a few starts. They don't have all the off days that they once did, you know, a couple weeks ago to shuffle things around. They need to hope Tucker Davidson can really steady this thing for them and really take this job. Rest of the series, Max Fried will face Kyle Gibson on Tuesday, then Wednesday, Charlie Morton against Ranger Suarez, and then Thursday, Kyle Wright will get Aaron Nola. Now, starting to wrap things up here, time for Ask Justin, our mailbag segment, taking questions from Justin's Twitter account, which is... Justin C. Toscano. I like saying, that, saying your own name every week is weird, but let's uh, let's get to these the fine people's questions. And uh, first up, Chris Chafee, 84. The Braves have a big outfield offensive weakness without Rosario and relying on Travis to merit. Do you think they will keep holding out this way? Is it too early to think trade? Does Harris does a Harris call up seem too early or does it make sense? The Braves well, Brian Snicker has always said this, and assistant GM of player development Ben Sustanovich has referred to Brian Snicker saying this that once you reach double A, you're in play for the majors. Now I would think my gut feeling would just be that Harris, and I could be completely wrong, this is my gut feeling, would be that they would want him to spend some time at AAA to not rush him. Um, but who knows? He's looked so good at AA that, you know, he's obviously got the talent for the majors, especially if, you know, if you think he can provide a little bit more than Travis Demerit. But they had, they do have Drew Waters, and so I think in terms of trades, I really think that it might be a tad early because unless it's, you know, a situation where you know a team's trying to trade somebody, then you're not going to get hosed. But right now, if the Braves are too desperate on the trade market because it is so early, they're going to end up giving a lot more than they should. Drew Waters hitting 316 in 57 games so far in uh, in AAA, and Michael Harris over 300 with uh, five homers and 10 stolen bases. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Harris has looked tremendous. He's been a human highlight reel there. Waters has played well when he's played, but he's had that hamstring issue, and then on Saturday night, he was hitting the elbow with a pitch, and that's why he was held out of Sunday's lineup, uh, Sunday's starting lineup. So he's day to day with that. All right, next. Why does Snit refuse to move Matt Olson from the two spot? He's clearly struggling there, and a change could help. Look, he's at this point, he's one of those veteran guys. He's still young, but he's one of those guys where the back of the baseball card tells you a lot. You want to slot him in number two, um, especially behind Acuna. I'm not sure he fits better elsewhere. And maybe that's just because I see him as a number two hitter because that's that's all I've really known since him being a Brave. But I really think they've they've shuffled behind him with Austin Riley. They've shuffled Ozzie Albies. They've shuffled Marcelo Zuna. Um, everybody, everybody except Matt Olson. I think he's got to maybe be that constant there up at number two. But he, does, he has really, really struggled. I just think everybody fits in really nicely around him, whether it's Ozzie, or whether it's Austin Riley behind him or, you know, Marcelo Zuna fourth or third. I, you know, Ronald Acuna is obviously going to lead off. But I think everybody just slots in really well around Olsen if he's there at number two. Uh, next up, Caleb English. How much do you think the line of shuffling has helped the offensive production? Yeah, a little bit, actually. Um, that, that stuff is always so tough to tell. But I think Brian Snicker pushed the right buttons. And obviously, you know, in the modern day baseball game, like line, you know, all of that stuff is collaborative and the front office helps too and things like that. 
But uh, the one day, you know, that Ozzie Albies hit third, he he had a big hit when Austin Riley was hitting six, and Riley had a big hit. Um, I, I think it's helped a little bit, but it's always so tough to tell. Um, the Braves have, I, I think, it's tough to tell because the Braves have as talented as a lineup of, as anybody in baseball. It's just that it's not performing up to the expectations, you know, we expected it to be. And so it's really tough to tell, but I think they've shifted a little bit and the shifting they've done with Ozzy Albies and Austin Riley has actually worked out, but maybe that's anecdotal for me. Next from Jay Busby. How long until the Braves wear powder blue throwbacks? And I don't know if we have the answer to that question, but we do have several other uniform related questions that we've been waiting to answer. And now we have those answers. Um, I'm not sure about the powder blue throwbacks. Uh, you know, um, we, they did wear the 1974s for Hank Aaron week, but the Braves, actually, I was told that they actually, because of the delay in spring training, that caused a delay in getting guys measured, which then caused the delay in getting the alternate jerseys in. So that's why you didn't see the Braves wear those navy blue road alternates until their you know series at Texas, which was their third road series. And that's why you didn't see them wear the you know red jerseys on a Friday night until the May 13th game against San Diego. Um, for fans of the cream colored jerseys, this podcast is about to be the bearer of bad news. Those, the Braves aren't wearing those anymore. Of course, things like that change. You know, I, I really don't know if, you know, if, if they could come back, but they're, the plan right now is that they're not wearing them. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we have on the uniform front right now. So thanks for everybody for asking those questions really since like April 8th. Final question from uh, Trent. Justin, would you rather fight? 25 duck size Matt Olsons or one Matt Olson size duck? Oh, wow. I'm going to say 25 duck sized Matt Olsons because if it were a Matt Olson sized duck, even if he's struggling at the plate right now, he could take a bat and probably whack me 500 feet. So I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to try to outrun the 25 of them instead of uh, facing the big boy. Cause that would be a really real David and Goliath matchup. And, and I'll tell you right now, David wouldn't come out on top. You think you'd win either one of those? <sighs> I mean, I'd have a chance to outrun 25, I, I think, but I don't know if it just depends on endurance. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but if those 25 had little bats, I mean, that might, you know, trip you up. Who, who knows? I mean, I, I actually had seen that, question you know when i was looking through them and i was hoping you wouldn't ask that one because i don't have a great answer to that i don't think i could win either one of them because i think matt olson's a pretty cool guy and a heck of a baseball player and so i uh i'm not sure i'm winning either of those all right we'll wrap it up here with our winners of the week oh yeah my winner of the week is william Contreras, a guy who said that he was not going to challenge his brother and mention that he has more home runs now because (laughs) his brother is very competitive but he does have more home runs than his brother um, he, like you said, he has got six home runs and eight hits. He's playing well, um, looks to be improving behind the dish a little bit, you know, each start. Um, and so he's really made the most of this opportunity. He's my winner of the week. And mine is, uh, those people that despise sacrifice bunts because it's May 22nd and the Braves still do not have one. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, there are a lot of people, let's just say the people who coached high school baseball in the 70s and 80s and, you know, small college baseball in the 90s, maybe they don't. Heck, they don't really 2003, like right when now. I was in high school, we were, you know, trying to score one run an inning by getting the guy over. Well, well, I mean, Orlando Arcia almost had it last week. I mean, he almost, he if somebody maybe a, a little, yeah, a little faster than Contreras was running there, the Braves would have one sacrifice bunt. But, uh, yeah, that's, it's been, 
you know, they're not really laying them down. That's the modern day game. All right, so that's uh, where we will leave it. Uh, we appreciate all your serious and silly questions, and uh, we will we release this podcast every Sunday night or Monday morning as soon as we can get it done. So please rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe, and that is uh, what really helps us grow this show. So, Justin, we'll see you back in Atlanta this week. Yeah, yeah, we'll see you guys. Thanks for hanging with us, and uh, we'll see if the Braves can cruise through a game instead of having everybody bite their nails off every night. And that's where we will leave it for the Braves report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com.